You're listening to Out of the Box Success with Audra Bartlett, episode number 21. In order for you to live your most extraordinary life, you're going to have to be willing to think outside of the box as to what success truly means for you in your business and life. Hi, I'm Audra Bartlett, certified success coach, multi-passionate, multi-business entrepreneur, and I've come to shake things up to get those creative juices flowing and get you really believing in what is possible truly for your life. So today we're continuing our Summer of Love series. This Summer of Love series is here to open people's mind to the possibility for love, finding love, being in love, and recognizing the boundaries around how one defines, lives, and loves within a relationship. Success in love gets to be of your own making. So today I have uh, Mackenzie and Galen here with us. And Mackenzie is a worker-owned cooperative developer. Galen is a woodworker. They are both musicians and playing together is a big part of their connection. They live in a co-housing Uh, love to travel and be in nature. They have one child together and have two with Mackenzie's ex and they co-parent with extended family. Um, And that includes Mackenzie's ex, Galen's wife? No. My ex's wife. Oh, yes, there we go. (laughs) Thank you. They're helping me in the intro. So Mackenzie's (laughs) ex uh, and his wife and their kid. Um, And so we are just going to have a conversation today, essentially about the nature of the relationship, how they met, and um, kind of talk about uh, some different ideas for how somebody can choose to have a relationship. Um, And the way we like to start these is with something I call a meet cute. And meet cutes are usually reserved for romantic movies. But since I love my life so much, I like to tell the meet cute of how I met all of my guests. And so Mackenzie and I met, I want to say, at least 10 years ago, possibly. Um, And you've kind of been in my life as an acquaintance and a friend and someone that kind of comes in and out. But um, we've seen each other through a lot of different relationships and transitions. And the first time that I kind of became aware of your choice to be non-monogamous is when I was dating somebody that was also interested in that life. Um, And so I kind of became aware and started researching it for myself and to see if it was something that was right for me. And uh, Mackenzie is also a member of my co-working women's space downtown. So we've just kind of been present in each other's lives. And as far as Galen goes, He's, uh, as I told him before we started, a uh, mystery to me. I have met him in person, but I don't know much about him. So this is going to be really fun for me. So I would love to start talking about uh, the way you both met, because it's a little bit unconventional in terms of, I guess, today's typical ways people meet. And uh, I'd like to hear the story of how you met, how you guys got set up, right? Yeah. We had a blind date. We got set up on a blind date by a mutual friend mm-hmm. who thought that we'd be a good fit. And uh, she wouldn't let us communicate ahead of time because she didn't want us to risk messing it up. 
and she told us where to meet and when. She asked us both if we were interested and we both said we'd never been set up before and we didn't recognize each other's names. Although we discovered later that maybe we met once at a party, but I don't really remember. Yeah. So essentially a friend knew you, knew him, and we're like, wow, I could see the two of them really vibing together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I love how the friend didn't give you names. They didn't tell you anything about each other. You kind of really went in truly blind versus... She, she did yeah. share our names because I think okay. we both asked, can you tell me this person's name? Because I think we both wanted to make sure it wasn't someone that we already knew or had mm -hmm. dated or... Um, but yeah, we just didn't communicate with each other ahead of time. She, she gave little snippets. Mm -hmm. She gave, she gave us like clip notes, intros. Um, but yeah, it was blind for sure. We yeah. went blind. Versus how often people, uh, you know, say they meet online or they know, uh, about each other and then they do like the whole social media deep dive. <laughs> right. Right. And right. they go and try to figure out everything about the person and kind of come in with a preconceived notion. So how was that first encounter? It was fun. It was easy. We had a great time on our first date. I think like the moment, the moment that we met felt pretty exciting. I was a little bit nervous, but we had an easy time getting to know each other. We went to multiple locations that first evening and kept hanging out the next day. Yeah, it was Ithaca Festival weekend. So you just kind of bounced around, hung out. Yeah, we went to karaoke. Play pool. And a lot of times when people think about that sort of meeting experience, that would be very nerve wracking for them. They wouldn't want to do it. They wouldn't want to go in blind. So I really think like the idea that you guys met and then now you've been together for five years, is that correct? Yeah, been together for five years is really inspiring, encouraging for people to just kind of even, you know, without even getting into the relationship conversation, but just to be encouraged to try new things as far as meeting people and being courageous, even though they may be feeling disheartened by the dating process as so many people are. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What would you say to someone feeling a bit discouraged right now? Uh, Well, dating is really hard and I think it's easy to kind of bend a lot of our own goals or standards um, to, to meet some goal. Um, and so I guess staying true to what one wants and needs is really important. It's less discouraging if you feel at least like you're in your integrity with yourself. Um, and I also would say that I think a lot of times we are the people that get in our own way the most of like our dreams or success whether it's romance or anything. So staying open. I think our my friend knew that I was feeling a little disheartened maybe by dating at the time. And and so I think she also like her her role in setting us up was also kind of a bold move. She wasn't totally comfortable doing it, but mm. she felt like she felt like it was it would be helpful or cool or interesting to inject something different for both of us. Mm -hmm. And even if it hadn't worked out, it kind of got you out of that comfort zone or the regular kind of way that people tend to date nowadays. Even that alone was a little bit of a shakeup. So mm -hmm. one of the things you told me your friend made sure of prior to this was that both of you were in agreement of the type of relationship you wanted to have. And so both of you are non-monogamous. 
And in our messages prior to this conversation, you had said that it's by nature. So I'm really curious to know uh, how you define non-monogamy and why you consider it to be by nature. I think the definition of non-monogamy is pretty simple. Uh, are not limited to just one partner. You have more than one romantic uh, relationship. I mean, you could say that is natural for humans biologically, but also it makes a lot of sense for people, uh, just for our normal social interactions that we just come naturally to people. Uh, well, when I said by nature, I meant for both of us, it feels like an inherent way that we are. In that regard, it could be considered like an orientation, maybe. Um, we've just always, as long as we have identified as people in the romantic world, felt an inclination towards having the potential for more than one partner at a time. There are signs in nature also, plenty of species are non-monogamous. And I think we see that humans engage in non-monogamy regularly, but it often manifests in the form of infidelity. And so uh, to, to be able to call oneself non-monogamous and own it as a lifestyle, I suppose, can encourage what might be very natural behaviors to be a little bit more um, above board and ethical and acceptable. Have you both um, always engaged in relationships um, from, the, from the beginning? I guess, was this something that you like the idea of engaging non-monogamous relationships from, you know, your first kind of initial relationships, maybe in the teenage years, or at what point did you decide that that's what felt right for you as far as relationships? I certainly didn't start out engaging in relationships that way. Uh, more manifested in my probably late twenties, early thirties as a, as a possibility for a, you know, a more sustainable lifestyle than unethical non-monogamy or monogamy. Mm -hmm. I was kind of a late bloomer with romance. I didn't really date in my teens. Um, and I got married pretty young. So I think there was a lot of conditioning that didn't welcome like a line of thinking around exploring outside of the romantic box. But once I became a little bit aware of there being people who chose to have multiple partners and to do so with honesty and compassion, um, something like clicked for me. And I think I realized that I had been feeling that way without having language for it. So I would say that all of the relationships I've been in, and I've only had a few long-term ones, have had some element of non-monogamy. That being said, with varying degrees of success. Um, and so when you're talking about the um, romantic box, what kind of conditioning did you find that you had to move through, process, understand for yourself when you're looking at getting out of um, some form of box of, of conditioning around how you are allowed to love or how a relationship can look? I think gender roles in relationships um, felt really constricting to me in the past. And uh, it, it makes sense that I would want to be non-monogamous because that can like, allow someone to play multiple versions of themselves as opposed to always having to be 
the Disney princess or something like that. I don't totally fit that mold, but that was definitely the narrative for me growing up was that um, women are pursued by men and they live happily ever after. And I wasn't pursued by men in that way. And so I think probably the first out of the box relationship thing that I had to deal with was um, playing a different role, playing a more typical like masculine role in my life in many regards. And yeah, the like happily ever after thing that a relationship is only successful if it lasts forever is something that I've had to shed. I've had really, really meaningful and impactful romantic and platonic relationships that have changed shape over the years. And I don't think that that dilutes their power. And that you like get married, that get mar getting married is the ultimate thing that you've like arrived once you've gotten married, a man gets down on his knee, right? Like, and then you're just kind of like riding off into the sunset. And I think relationships take constant effort. So whatever milestones you meet, marriage or otherwise, like that's not the end of it. And they're always, relationships are always growing and changing and um, who you love now, you might love differently in the future. I think that we didn't really grow up with a lot of stories about how things change. Like the most successful romantic stories we hear are the ones that stay. All those things I've had to relearn, unlearn and relearn for myself. And I'm still actively unlearning and relearning some of those things. Sometimes we're also taught that there's like a, there are two sides to relationship possibilities in our Western culture. And one of them is to be with one person forever. And the other one is to be sporadically with different people uh, without any rules. And there's sort of a happy middle ground that, you know, ethical non-monogamy falls into. Yeah, sort of a big middle ground. There are so many ways. And also I think the notion that you're either friends with somebody or you're in a serious relationship with them, but being casual partners with someone, being sexual partners with someone without being in a romantic relationship, um, there are being in and out of friendship and romance with people. I think there are lots of, there are lots of middle grounds between yeah, you're forever single or you got a ball and chain kind of thing. Yeah. None of those, <laughs> none of those feel very comfortable to me. <laughs> it's like it, it's like both sound pretty terrible. About those are your two choices. Like you're forever single and lonely, or you have a ball of chain and you stay no matter what, even if you're miserable. It's like <laughs> those are the, yeah. it's like the it's like the paradigm. We're like, oh well, both of those sound rough, but we're not given that middle ground. It almost makes me as you guys were talking, it made me thought of the Kinsey scale. Mm -hmm. With that, with like mm -hmm. one to eight. And for the people that don't know, it's essentially saying that nobody is fully um, heterosexual or homosexual. There's like a whole, like most people are somewhere between, I think it's one and eight. Like you're in the middle. Everybody's pretty much in the middle. But mm -hmm. uh, now we're becoming so much more aware of gender gender roles sexual fluid fluidity and how we can exist in this huge space in mm -hmm. between the two ideas and I think to some regard relationships haven't quite caught up with some of this awareness like right. I even I even see it as non-monogamy is often considered to be a um 
unhealthy or um, not a, a great route for people to go still, right? That like, yeah. we're still forced into single or married and nothing in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see it parallels, I think, between, like you said, the uh, like the hetero to homosexual scale and the monogamous to non-monogamous scale, because I think if we recognize ourselves as complete, complex beings that possess different roles at different times, um, then it makes it easier to kind of ex explore all those options. And one thing that I think is really important about non-monogamy is that, or like the polyamorous lifestyle, it can also include monogamy. It's it's an, it's an inclusive way of relating with people. Um, and for some people who consider themselves maybe bisexual or pansexual or into more than one gendered type of person, living a non-monogamous life can allow someone to honor all those parts of themselves and have maybe a male partner and a female partner and experience a balance in meeting needs emotionally and physically that we can't expect one partner to, to meet all the time. That's also a big part of the like feeling as if non-monogamy is somewhat evolutionary in that we used to not live as long as we do. And we didn't necessarily have the same like capitalist structures and stresses on us. And so in 2023 to live to be maybe 90 years old and to have children and careers and to have to pay mortgages and to expect one person to be by our side that whole time and to be best friend, confidant, lover, romantic everything. partner, playmate, parent, everything mm -hmm. for 70 years is just not realistic. It doesn't set people up for success in their, in their lives. And there's a reason that people feel really burnt out right now. And part of it, I think, is because of confines to the ways that we relate to other people. Yeah, I think there's um, some really beautiful things uh, that you're making a point to. And the idea that if we look at ourselves as a complete complex being, right, like that there are so many different facets and the idea that we are in constant growth and evolution and change, that it really is unrealistic in any other, right, if we look at almost any other thing that we do in life our work, right? Our, our parenting, our friendships, like we all, there's space for all of those to evolve and change. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, the, the pinnacle is 70 years of marriage, whatever. Right. And there's not really the space for that to evolve and change unless it's within the confines of the relationship. And so mm -hmm. it's not acknowledging the complexity of the human experience. So we kind of got into why this has kind of been the path for both of you that you've realized kind of, it sounds like relatively earlier on, like it was, Galen, I think you said in your 20s and Mackenzie, you had various different um, understandings. I don't even know how old you are, Galen, you could still be 20. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we are in our 30s and yeah. I would say in my late 20s, I probably started investing in like, living that life authentically. Yeah. So, I mean, 
relative, I mean, it's relatively, you know, early on, I would say in your twenties, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> way before, way before midlife crisis time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> before midlife crisis, before you were married for like 30 years and realized it wasn't for you. Right. Um, and one of the things uh, you said was that there are various permutations of non-monogamy. So I'm curious how you define yours and what other permutations are you aware of? Some people just accept cheating from their partners as a form of non-monogamy and yeah. just do anything. Some people... Okay, and um, I just want to I want to stop right there because I think people who are in monogamous relationships and turn a blind eye to infidelity mm -hmm. still think that like, oh, we're totally monogamous, but really they're just denying the fact that they are in a non-monogamous relationship. Right. And they might be engaging with it unethically as opposed to ethically. Yes. Like you um, said, board. Yeah. Some people... Uh, yeah, some people do have a little bit of a like, don't ask, don't tell, like they agree that they're non-monogamous, but they don't want to share details. Mm -hmm. Some people have other partners. Some people live together with multiple partners. Some people only have other sexual playmates or friends with benefits. Some people only have sex or kink with each other and other people. I don't know how I exactly would name it, but in practice, I think we both feel free to engage in other relationships somewhere on the spectrum from casual to serious. I have an expectation to be made aware of things and to help to shape how it interacts with our relationship. We have some like rules in the physical sense, like protection with other people. There aren't too many like hard lines though, I think, other than communicating about it. Yeah. I don't think we engage in, uh, many sporadic moments of intimate contact with other people. It's usually with uh, a, a preconceived uh, agreement in mind. Mm -hmm. they're, they're usually other relationships and not just other uh, one-off engagements. Right. A, a lot of that has to do with our lives also. We have a young child together, so we're not really in the position to just be like, go out and meet strangers. Yeah. Having casual hookups. We both prefer relationships more and those relationships can be with friends. Doesn't have to be like a long-term romantic partner, I guess. And, yeah. and so essentially what I'm hearing is that um, you both are in that kind of a primary relationship together. Yeah. You and you have a child together, you live together. Yeah. And then um kind of the you know, the there's the protection aspect, which is an agreement if there's intimate contact with other people. But then the the biggest piece I'm hearing is really about the communication. That if one of you is gonna go meet somebody or uh whether it's a casual thing, which doesn't seem to happen. At very frequently, but regardless, it's you're meeting somebody with the possible intent that it could lead to something. And so there's a conversation between the two of you. Hey, I'm meeting so-and-so and it could turn into something. I'm pursuing it with interest. 
Yeah, that's that's something that could happen or has happened. I mean, there were there were times before we lived together and before we were parenting together that I might report something afterwards to him and say, hey, I, I had a spontaneous date with someone last night and tell him about it. And there wasn't always communication ahead of time. But again, I think due to the the structure of our lives right now, it's, you know, if I want to go meet a friend platonically, mm-hmm. I would say, hey, what are our plans this week? What are the kids doing? I, I might have dinner with so-and-so. It would, it looks very similar if there's romantic interest or sure. previous sexual experience, you know, I'd say, what are our plans this week? I'd like to have a date with so-and-so. I might sleep over at someone's house. When would that work for us? That sort of thing. Yeah, because the two of you aren't just uh, just the two of you. <laughs> There's right. many, many children involved and many mm-hmm. much planning. So it, it looks mm-hmm. similar to really any other sort of planning that's required for life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what are some of both the benefits that you have found uh, together in a non-monogamous, say non-monogamous relationship? <laughs> and what are some of the struggles that you have found over the years? One difficulty is that um, our relationships with other people can carry back to our own. If we're not feeling good about them, then we might be we might be sad at home. And the other person is, you know, it's great to have another person as a source of comfort when you're feeling bad about a relationship, but you know, it doesn't always work out that way. We might we might be sad about other relationships at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess some of the successes are probably just being able to feel like ourselves and being accepted for who we are. Um, I've I've been in previous relationships in which I did not feel fully accepted for who I was, or I felt shamed for wanting to have multiple partners. So I think that's a huge benefit um I think modeling for the children what's possible for them is maybe a long-term benefit and I'm sure that there are people who would argue that um and it's not like we give our kids insight into all of the happenings with other partners but um conceptually I think it's important for them to understand that we can be committed to each other and to our family and also have our own individual lives and interests and desires beyond that Another difficulty, I suppose, is that even in like communicative open relationship, mistakes can be made and lines can be crossed. A lot of people, I think, have the idea that if you're anywhere on the spectrum of like open or polyamorous, that anything goes. And that's absolutely not true for most people, I think, who practice Mm -hmm. polyamory. Um, And we have individual different ways of relating to that style of relationship. Like relating with relationships is something that I think gets a little bit lost when we are like talking about romance. It's like you're in the relationship and that's it. But, you know, there's like there are individuals within that relationship and the relationship itself is an acting player and there are influences from outside of the relationship. And so um, we've certainly hurt each other um, in ways that we wouldn't do if we could go back in time, I guess, like rooted in being non-monogamous. Sometimes it's hard to meet multiple people's needs. 
at the same time. Yeah, it, it sounds like um, there are some really beautiful freedoms, uh, like you're talking about the ability to really feel not shame, to feel like yourself, to um, be able to move in a way that feels really natural to you. But because of the complexity of having other humans involved with in relationship, right? It gets complicated sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not always, I mean, really like, like in any way, shape or form, um, if you have a hard time with a friend, you might bring it back to your relationship. And then when it comes to romantic relationships, I really see them as something that can um, be something uh, almost like a, a vehicle for transformation. It Romantic relationships can often bring to the surface things that you haven't dealt with. And right. um, when it comes to intimacy, that can also bring up all sorts of things. I, I kind of think of um, sex as this uh, microcosm to the macro, like as far mm-hmm. as like anything that's happening kind of outside can show up in various different ways in that yeah. intimate way. You're very vulnerable, you're raw, you're naked often. And in that, it can really exacerbate anything that's going on and then within the romantic relationship. Um, yeah. So I really think that they're, like you were talking about this, um, often people think that it's just like doing whatever you want, like anything goes. But really, I think that's a huge misconception because of the level of where awareness someone needs to have when dealing with multiple layers, with multiple different people, with multiple different levels of intimacy and insecurities and trauma and all the things that come up within that. Definitely. It's effortful, I think. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that some people find monogamy simpler I think we both feel like monogamy isn't totally simple because it, it's a different kind of effort. Yeah, it's a different kind of effort. It requires some like restructuring of our own innate ways. Um, yeah, and like you said, Kaylin, the the different uh, kind of effort or the different amount of effort. I often have conversations with coaching clients in which they're talking about like not wanting to get out of their comfort zone or not wanting to do the thing that they don't want to do. And I will be like, okay, well, you have to pick your heart, right? You got to pick your heart. Like, are you going to, it's going to be hard for you because you're unhappy sitting on the couch, eating ice cream all day, every day, or are you going to pick the heart of going to the gym? And it's the same thing. Like you have to look at what's true for you. What's true for how you want to express, how you want to be in your life. And choose the kind of effort do you want to do the effort to be in monogamous or non-monogamous relationship both are different effort both are different kind of effort and i think when it comes down to you're really looking at whether or not you feel um open or closed right but and not in the relationship but whether you feel confined and restricted within one or open and free in one you know, and that's a personal decision for every person to have. But I think it's important that they're aware that it can be 
so many different various permutations. So what advice would you have for someone curious about this path, wanting to engage in it from a healthy, informed perspective? I mean, if it is what feels natural to you, then then go for it and make sure that the people you're engaging with are of the same, uh, have the same idea about it as you. I guess it depends on the person. Some people really like to listen to podcasts and read things and like study something. And so there are plenty of resources in that arena. Um, if someone's embarking on a journey, something to keep in mind is that um, however we relate to people, we're relating with like entire human beings and to not treat any of those human beings as experiments in someone's own escapades, I think is, that's, I would go back and tell some people that before I were to relate with them, if I could go back in time, you know, like, oh yeah, the, I think like being prepared to do some of the difficult work of getting comfortable and intimate with emotions that we're taught are like really bad, like jealousy. Um, or to not feel like a failure if you feel some of those feelings like jealousy or envy or feeling left out or being nervous. Um, I think it's important to just kind of like let oneself feel what they feel and then like, but to not necessarily make huge decisions from those feelings to sort of come back to the grounding of like, why am I, why am I doing this? Um, and then doing it with open communication and like lots of understanding for where other people are in the process. Um, and to not, yeah, to not try to like convince somebody or um, I don't know what the word is. I think it can feel, open relationships can feel culty to people sometimes as if everyone's trying to like bring someone into their polycule. Um, I don't think that that's true, but I also think it's important to honor people's way of relating and to like not try to, turn them into something else for your own pleasure. Trying to convince somebody that doesn't feel comfortable with it to be comfortable with it because it's right. the right the right way. But it's the right way for the person. One person, it might not be the right way for another person. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back to the idea that isn't, we're entire human beings and we just need to have mutual respect for the way that people choose to live their lives. Just two things I wanted to kind of ask questions about before we finish. And one of them is um, when you're talking about these emotions that come up, I imagine a lot of people are like, oh, well, you don't feel jealous or it's not a big deal. Like, kind of tell me a little bit about uh, how that has been for you and what your experience is with that. Is that true? Do you, do you feel jealousy? How do you interact with that? I think we experience it differently. Um, I feel jealous sometimes. And I recognize that if I'm feeling uh, insecure mm -hmm. or like that jealousy stems from insecurity for me. So if I'm feeling jealous, I kind of want to like look at, are we feeling stable enough to, you know, to invite new romance in? Um, am I feeling stable enough? How am I treating myself? Um, sometimes it can be like a barometer. It's a GPS for like, if things are off, I think. Um, so I definitely like listen to myself if I feel jealous and I probably, 
I mean, I think best case scenario, we've we've experienced it many different ways. And I'd say these days, probably if I'm feeling a little tender about something, I tell him that I'm feeling tender about it. And he comforts me and assures me and we move on and I can support him knowing that, uh, you know, things are good. Things are good for us. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to, to be so simple about it, but compersion is the... Uh, an important emotion within non-monogamy, which is the idea that we find joy in other people's joy. Mm. Um, and that's kind of in contrast in like to jealousy, in which we feel as if we're missing something. We want something that someone else has. We want to take away someone else's joy to have it for ourselves or to not feel left out of that joy. Um, and so that's like a, a, a constant emotional practice, I think is to lean into compersion and, and to, you know, remind each other of the security of our relationship, I think. But you feel it differently or sometimes not at all. I think I experience fear of missing out more than jealousy per se. Other people are having fun that I want to have fun with and sometimes you're not part of it. That's not always an easy thing to accept. but Especially with the responsibilities of like household and parenting. Mm-hmm. Usually if, if, if one of us is out with someone else, that inevitably means that the other is at home um, doing domestic things, which we both enjoy, but sometimes we'd rather also be out having fun. <laughs> yeah. We'd rather out be, be out on dates than, you know, necessarily cooking dinner for all the children or whatever yeah. it happens to be. Yeah. But uh, like I was saying, I like the, the I had never, I've never heard the word conversion before. And I think this is a really beautiful pointing to that this conversation about jealousy, insecurity, fear of missing out is a everybody conversation Um, because so often those emotions arise. And like you were saying a few minutes ago, we try to make them wrong, but really they're just a a barometer to what's going on, how Mm -hmm. we're feeling, what fears are coming up, what insecurities are coming up what's uh, been happening in the relationship. And I think jealousy shows up in all sorts of ways. You're jealous of somebody's new car or a job promotion or you know all those things. And those really are just indicators as feelings are of something going on internally. It doesn't make somebody else necessarily wrong or right. It's just something to pay attention to. Um, yeah. And then finding joy in other people's joy. You know, like if 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 all of us could go out there and find joy in other people's joy, mm-hmm. the world yeah. the world would be better. It would be like, oh, you're you're living your life in a joyful way. You're happy. I'm finding joy in that for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the last question I have uh, for this conversation is to um, the discussion you had about. Um, not making somebody an experiment. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, you were saying to treat somebody like an entire human being. And so I'm curious for somebody who may be listening and is, is curious and maybe hasn't gone down that path, but would like to, you know, venture out. How could they do that? Um, 
that in a way that is not necessarily an experiment, right? But it is a fulfillment of their curiosity and they're not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's kind of a delicate path, but I think finding community around any lifestyle is really important. So um, yeah, that's just the first step I think is to, is to, to find other people. And it can be, you know, there are ways in which being non-monogamous is like an unprotected class. Sometimes people lose their jobs over it. Sometimes people are ostracized for it. So, um, you know, legally there's not much support for having multiple partners. So I guess just having like a, a finding, finding a group of people might be tough, but I think that that is also like an important, an important step having community around it and, and to, not lead with like the fantasy of it, but but to lead with genuinely wanting to relate to other people in the best way that we can relate to each different person. There's like a, there are great ways that we can relate to other people. And like my relationship with Galen is very different than my relationship with others. And if we flip flop them, they might not be as successful, right? So I think going into any relationship with openness for like, is this going to be a friendship? Is this going to be platonic? Is this going to be romantic? Is it going to be monogamous or not? I think that's like the first step. And then to sort of understand a little bit of like what the possibilities are and what you're comfortable with. Like, I think it's important for someone to ask, would I be comfortable being someone's secondary partner? Do I only want to be a primary partner? Do I only want to be a secondary partner if I also have a primary partner? Do I believe in relationship hierarchies at all? Um, am I queer? I think it's important to kind of ask some of those questions also to be able to show up authentically for people. If you're just experimenting, it should probably be mutual. You know, you can be some, you can, people can be each other's experiment if mm -hmm. They, if they're, you know, aware and consenting to the concept of it. Um, but also, yeah, just the idea of being more interested in getting to know people than necessarily for it to essentially turn into uh, a romantic relationship is a way of making sure that you're not, you know, just just playing around. Mm -hmm. You can You can get to know people and then decide whether or not they might be interested in having a relationship with you. And when you get comfortable with people, then you can just ask them these questions instead of trying to figure it out like a stuffy British romance movie where nobody <laughs> is comfortable talking about anything. <laughs> yeah, I think that a uh, word of advice for literally any relationship. <laughs> In truth, right? You know, I, I've had these conversations with friends, they go out with somebody and it's like, but do you like them? Right. Like, do you want to <laughs> really spend time with them? Like, are right. they a person you enjoy? Do you, mm -hmm. do you relate to them on a human level, right? right? And we're so quick to be like, oh, these are the categories or these are the things or this is the outcome or this is what needs to happen versus just relating to another human and being like, 
uh, are you cool or not? Like, yeah. <laughs> do I want, do I really enjoy my time with you? Do I feel tired after I spend time with you or do I feel lit up? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think also something that I would recommend to people are that, you know, we try to like practice is that we're not really responsible for anyone else's happiness and we don't own each other's happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so much possession in a lot of relationships and a lot of monogamous relationships um, that really restricts people from being themselves that, you know, to go into it and to not be too attached to like what the outcome is, but yeah, just like, does it feel good to be with somebody? And if this feels good, maybe the next thing will feel good. And maybe the next thing for you with one person is sex. And maybe the next thing for you with another person is like, sharing a hobby together, going running, you know, like there are just so many different ways. And I don't think that we, yeah, we get, a. you're right. We get a little quick to like define how and what and who. And really, I think it's way more fun and interesting to like see endless possibilities and to let the cards kind of fall where they may. Yeah, it's like the idea that they say, you know, say like you meet somebody and you're like putting them into a category already. Like, some people are also just boring and they want an easy category to fit into. Yeah. And that's fine for them. You might just want a house in the suburbs and a housewife and a dog and something. And that's fine. And you might not even be boring to yourself or to others, you know? Yeah. 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 Good point. We encourage you to go to the suburbs if you like the suburbs. If that's what turns you on, yeah, then do it. People, people should be able to do what turns them on, and no one should really be able to tell them what can't. And I think we are we're like smack dab in the middle of this conversation when it comes to trans rights, LGBTQ plus rights across the board. Like we're not really going to define for each other what we're allowed to be attracted to, are we? You know, like if I think more than one person is good looking and everyone agrees, like, why yeah. not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think what we're, what we're talking about is just that it's, we don't, we don't get to define what is right for anybody else. Only we can define. And if we have more conversations like this, people can see that there are so many different possibilities for what their life can look like and perhaps more people can get out of the place where they're feeling shame for the things that they naturally are feeling uh, within themselves and that's their truth and they don't have to hide that but that they can find some um, way to define the way they live in love that's right for them. I yeah, I want to uh, just end this conversation with my favorite portion, which is the down and dirty three. Mm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I did name that myself. Um, <laughs> and uh, so you can either one of you respond, both of you respond. I don't know if you have multiple answers, but what is a quote that has profoundly impacted your life? Was it Jimi Hendrix or like a Greek philosopher who said when our love of power, power. Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix yeah <laughs> that one's but that one's true like what is the whole quote when the power of love overcomes the love of power the world will be at peace the world will be at peace
look it up maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Listen, that's our interpretation of that quote and we're sticking to it. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Uh, yeah, that I think like kind of the, the, like the theme of today, how we relate to people versus how we owned them or their experiences is what really matters, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, suffering in the world is caused by trying to control a lot of things that we don't need to control. Mm-hmm. That is maybe one version of suffering. Um, and if we accept each other and love each other, then I think there's a whole lot more peace to be had. And I think that's the goal. Peace is a good goal in my life. That's what I want to feel peaceful mm-hmm. about things. Even if it's like neutral, you know, not everything has to be exciting. Yeah, I'm definitely so, looking for peace. Yeah, sometimes, and I think that's a misconception, not that uh, we want our lives to be boring, but sometimes peace can feel boring, especially when it comes to people with a dysregulated nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sometimes the calm uh, equates to boring, but the calm can actually be what you really need to allow you to to be, you know, able to succeed in your life in the way that you And so the next question is, what is a book that you think everybody could benefit from reading? Well, oh, you start. Oh, I you said benefit from reading, so. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy <Yeah>. reading. <laughs> I'll start. I'll start. Um, I think again, along the topic of our discussion today, Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel is a book that people could definitely benefit from. Um, and it speaks to a lot of the ways that we harm ourselves by trying to fit into relationship boxes. Esther Perel in general, I think if people read anything by her, they'll learn something. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that book, but I've watched a lot of content by Esther Perel. Yeah. And she has a very um a very unique and very kind of profound view and um understanding of mm-hmm. relationship and relationship dynamics. Yeah. The State of Affairs is her other book that's more specific specifically about infidelity. And I find that one to be really like enlightening as well. Mm-hmm. She's very compassionate with her perspectives from all sides of all stories. How about you, Galen? Do you have a book that you recommend? Oh, I, I recommend <laughs> Geek Love by Catherine Dunn to everyone. There's um circus freaks and a cult and telepathy. Yeah, superpowers. And I don't think it's helpful to anyone. I think it's equally disturbing as it is beautiful. But um it's it's that or children's books these days. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Lately, I've found On the Day You Were Born to be very moving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember who that's by. I don't know either. Yeah. On the Day You Were Born. That's a good kid's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, we're recommending books for all ages today. <laughs> <laughs> all stages of life. That's right. Well, and, you know, every book doesn't have to be some profound self-help book. It can also be something that just allows your mind to expand and experience some sort of interpretation of art writing yeah exploration right it's it's meaningful just for the sake of itself yeah self-improvement is masturbation (laughs) and there we go (laughs) yeah i agree um 
And so what are three words that describe your vision for your most extraordinary life? Aid to play. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say free, creative, and peaceful. I like it. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. It was fun. Until next time, you too can live your most extraordinary life. Much love. Want to learn more? Go to audrabartlett.com where you can learn how to work with me, sign up on the email list, and even book a free call with me.